when three teams have an opportunity to launch their way into the playoffs with a win, and two out of three is only bad for you. <laughs> it's That's So MLS on North American Soccer Podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello, hello, hello. We are decided. The decision we, day has arrived. We, we've de- we had a decision day, decisions were made, and we've decided. Well, it's been decided for us. It's been decided for us. We have we have witnessed <coughs> in, in part the decision. Um, the uh, after I almost thought so. I I kind of went back in in the 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 Saturday before decision day. Uh, it almost feels like a double header because of the fact that uh, between the two match weeks, because of the fact that LAFC clinched the supporter shield in the penultimate some, week of the season. Yeah, there's some catch up games. Um, but the, uh, things went on decision day fairly, uh, uh, in a fairly straightforward manner. There were, as noted, three teams that could, uh, that could win matches and, and therefore qualify for the playoffs. And two of them did, um, Orlando and RSL. Bastards. I mean, good for them. Super happy for you guys. Super, super happy. Before we Good get in times, before we get into those like the, the games of it all, you have it here in the notes, and, and, and I feel like this is the the such a strange bittersweet note to send us into the playoffs. Is is so many of these local broadcasters basically saying goodbye? Um, yeah, yeah. Like we we kind of talked about this, I think, a couple of episodes ago about like, well, what's going to happen? with all these local local broadcasters and then pretty much i think as we said that you started to see on broadcasts guys and women and folks signing off being like well that's it for us um which is like a kind of painful reality like as much as i do hate tsn um i was watching the sign off from the sounders forgive me um but Brad Evans said, like, you're, you're just you're not going to get the same game day experience. Um, like, we all have a personal connection to the club and to the city. Um, and that just game day experience and our like what it means to us and how and what it means to you guys. Like, it's it's just going to be different. And I was kind of surprised that they <laughs> let them broadcast that. But, you know, it's live and it's a player. What are you going to do? But I was like, well, that's that's sort of true, isn't it? Like. I mean, what are we expecting here? They're not going to hire people in local markets. They're going to, I'm sure, you know, get some big names and and sign a a crew. But it is probably going to be a very MLS, like, centralized location beaming in. um, And people who don't necessarily have the the same local knowledge, right? Like, you might have the knowledge at a a more senior, at the um, international level, but... It's going to be a very different type of coverage, and I think that we've maybe not fully digested just how different MLS could feel next year. Yeah, I think in some ways that that there are some ways in which people are anticipating that in in in, in a positive way. You bring up DSN, I couldn't help but notice that watching the first watching the first game of the doubleheader on DAZN, I didn't need to have any other screens on because um everything was being you know handily brought up for decision day any any goal was being 
you know, played on the feed and stuff like that. Uh, it's like mm-hmm. this second game, I have no idea what's happening. Um, there have been there have been critiques about how TSN has um, presented it, but you know, I felt for and, and we talked about this when they they sort of fired Peter Schott out of nowhere and replaced him with Blake Price. That, that seemed to make no sense, but I felt yeah. for Blake Price. Blake Price yeah. tried his best, and and, yeah. and, and he. Became a uh, he became a, a a good commentator. He became he was definitely in terms of being the you know your soccer buddy to watch the game with you. He was just, he was pretty good at it. Sure, and I'm sure Apple's gonna like hire some people who are pretty good at it too, right? Like, I just think that you know in our evaluations of things, sometimes we can skew sort of like, well, it's either gonna be good or it's gonna be bad, but. I hadn't really processed sort of Brad Evans' point. It's just going to be very different. Um, and I, even if they're great commentators, there's just they don't have the same connection to the club that you do. Brad Evans is going to talk to Sounders fans in a very different way. I hope that they. The one thing we don't we assume that there's going to be a certain number of teams and the teams will be assigned. I certainly okay. hope. I think the baseline out of a deal like this is that they are going to be in person. Um, but we don't, we, we just don't know how that's going to be done. Who's going to be hired. Obviously a lot of these people that are saying they're out of, they're out of work are going to be people that you would want to try and get. But at the same time, it's like, is Dave Johnson going to want to leave the job that he has that where he also does the wizards? Right. Is he, is he going to want, is he going to want to travel across the, the, the country? Probably not. Maybe not. Like, I, I think that that was being presented in such a way that it was ambiguous, although it looks like DC is saying that we are going to try and keep him involved in some in some way, form, or fashion. There was a super cut that was so, <laughs> so, so sweet and so sad uh, of, Dave, yeah, no, of Dave Johnson some... moments at, at DC. Hits in the net. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's definitely the end of an era. We will we'll keep you all posted with details as we get them. But yeah, Apple, I don't think has or MLS really said too much about this particular thing, either way. So we're we're definitely making some assumptions, and we'll see how it plays out. I hope that it has a certain standard to it. Um, I hope that they hire the people who are best at it. Because I mean, yeah, I feel like a lot of the top. I don't want random English Premier League people who have no experience with MLS doing it. Um, that being said, like when you hear, I, I heard an interview with Peter Drury who does um, English Premier League for NBC. That was kind of like mm-hmm. the weird alternate thing that they were doing is that he, he was the key, one of the key names for the Premier League. And then all of a sudden was doing uh, exclusively United States coverage of Premier League. Well, he's doing it from England first off. Um, but it does strike me that uh, uh, somebody in that position has called a lot of different leagues from a lot of different people. So I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, be shocked to see somebody with, with, with experience calling the Premier League. And, and I wouldn't necessarily think that they would would be terrible out of hand. But I just think maybe it's just because I, I saw that quote for um, Ursula K. Le Guin on Twitter today about genre, where people hmm. people wander into a genre with no um, a 
appreciation for it and then try to reinvent the wheel. We have been through British guy voice. Yeah. We have been through, oh, well, we've got to make sure that it's an authentic British soccer guy voice. So many times with so many different presentations. And I just hope that somebody knows not to do that. That's the idea before it leaves the boardroom. Not saying that there should be no British guys, but, but, you know. (laughs) But few. (laughs) Don't make it the aesthetic. No, no. Um, Yeah, like you said, it's ground we have trodden. We don't need to revisit that. Um, Another piece of news is longtime Whitecaps slayer and former Whitecaps player Shea Salinas retired with the San Jose Earthquakes. We've had a number of like just like guys you just you know their name, you see them every year, they're just sort of part of the furniture of MLS in a in a positive way. Um so I felt like that was kind of a sad one. He's obviously made a name for himself all over the league, but particularly with earthquakes in a team that just has been wildly inconsistent with a huge amount of turnover. I think, you know, Shea Salinas has clearly demonstrated what uh, he's capable of doing with them and just, yeah, wanted to make note of that and and wish him well in uh, whatever comes next for him. So uh, Salinas was a expansion player for the Whitecaps. And um, I think that last year for um, for a lot of folks was, was their, uh, their ability to say, Wow, it's been ten years, huh? And now it's eleven. Now we're moving on to the next one. It's like, oh, it's been ten years, huh? Everyone's retiring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's it's kind of crazy that the you forget about like a generation of soccer players kind of switches over, and all of a sudden, all the people that you are so used to saying the names of, you're like, man, Ramondo doesn't play in the league anymore, and like Parkhurst doesn't play anymore. Like just guys like that, just like every week, right? See, I started, this is my benefit because I started watching in like 2006, 2007. So I still remember Aleko Eskandarian. <laughs> the, the way, way, way back. But it's, um, it's a generation also, turning over for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's part of life. It's the sad part of aging. Um, and it wouldn't be an MLS decision day or a That's So MLS podcast without a coach firing to talk about. We have one for you, folks. Uh, Caleb Porter is out at Columbus. Um, obviously, there's going to be lots of coaching and roster updates headed our way. I think New England is the only team right now that's put their roster update out. But for the teams that didn't make it, making decisions, Columbus decides uh, they've had enough of Caleb Porter. Kind of curious to know your take on that one. Well, if you have one. Um, I think that this was a this was an up and down season for Columbus. Uh, they had a moment. They had a player that has been nominated for the uh, or oh, I had these here. The the nominees. I was going to say they had a player in Zellerion who could have been nominated as an MVP. Um, mm. They had um, points of the year where they looked good, but they also they. Told they, I wouldn't say at all that they had recovered their form um, from the last time that they were uh, up in the big lights. And the um, this was what Caleb Porter was supposed to do. 
you I don't know whether or not it's supposed it's it's down to specifically that last game or you know the emotions of of having led in that game and then um and then losing the lead uh in order to be knocked out of the playoffs but I just I think that that's a team where you can say that they uh maybe they never should have been in that position for the amount of money that they has that um is being paid on it the Haslam's have that that have that club at the moment if I recall. Yeah. Um, the this was supposed to be an expensive this was supposed to be the the um top guy coach. You know, and, and they have uh um they they won in twenty twenty. Uh they had a rough year last year um and there's only so long that you can go uh, that you that they will uh, that they will permit this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think despite Caleb Porter's ties to Portland Timbers and just a necessary need to kind of hold a resentment there, I, obviously he's a good coach. But I mean, the you don't want to be on the wrong side of a stat and a stat like you know losing seven games. I think in the last fifteen minutes giving up goals and a lot of those include not just like being ahead and then giving up a goal and then giving up another goal i i saw a number of crew fans kind of talking about like how in his tactics that's how he kind of manages games like he gets the team to to back off and try to become more defensive but it it's always i've always feel like columbus sort of takes a while to get going and once the gears are turning they're devastating an attack but it takes so long <laughs> And then it's sort of like, all right, well, it took us 60 minutes to do that. So now we'll apply the brakes and try to manage the game. And then all of a sudden the wheels come off. So I kind of feel like with Columbus, I don't look at this side and go, oh, the roster needs a complete overhaul. I do think they probably need a coaching change and a change of tactics because, you know, as we've seen with Pat Noonan in Cincinnati, like you don't have to change everything to take a losing club into a a winning one. and. 46 points is a respectable finish, but as you mentioned, like, but not for a team like Columbus that spent so much money and expects so much more of their team. Big shiny stadium. Obviously, Porter won Big shiny stadium. Like, you gotta, like, 46 points is close, but, like, this should have been a 50-point team, you know? Like, they should have been in, maybe not well above the line, but you certainly would think... Again, just managing games differently. Yeah, they could have had 50, 50 points easy. Here's the statistic. That I mean, I, not easy. I was going to say that I was going to say that you know they are um, the uh, Porter brought one trophy, but but with this new stadium that they had, um, that was that was before the new stadium, and this is not the brand that they wanted the team to have. Um, and uh, the stat, the stat that proves that point you just made is um, sixteen draws. Uh, the next closest team is thirteen. <laughs> that is a lot of draws. <laughs> That's so many points thrown away. Yeah, it's what. Yeah, it's uh, twenty thirty-two. Yeah, one. Well, I'm also just looking at it here, like. It's not a great home record, but it's a bad road record. Ten losses on the road is not not good. 
Like no playoff team is going to get in. With I think 10, those are 10, draws. 10 or those draws? Oh, right. Of course it is. <laughs> well, math has always not been my strong point, but. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Um, I do the stadium announcing at the university, and like the worst part of the day for me is when I have to. Uh, they have a football clock that counts up. And when I have to, in a moment, say what minute it is and be like, all right, 45 minus 26. What minute is it? <laughs> oh, no. No. That's not what I signed up for here. Um, anyway. So, the, so goodbye to Caleb Porter. Um, simultaneously, without uh, you know sticking around too long on that, on that point, um, I think that this starts coaching season. Um, with a huge bang because Caleb Porter is a big get for any team that wants to um, that wants to to make a a statement higher. Um, As much as I was, you know, as we were both saying, oh well, it's not, it's not, it's not enough for the ambition. Um, He did get the job done in 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 his whole tenure. It's not that they they hired him and he and he never won a trophy. so any team, I think that this is one where um, any team that hasn't, that's considering making a coaching change, has got to be thinking, well, Caleb Porter's available. Yeah, no, I mean, he'll be a, a sought-after name for sure. Just looking at the table right now, looking at most teams, I think most of the teams that are out of the playoffs already have a coach pretty locked in. Like, uh, definitely things could still happen. So that will be interesting to see because on the surface of it, I would say it actually might be, it might be more likely a team that crashes out of the playoffs than a team that has already crashed out of the playoffs. Just because, again, most of those coaching decisions have already been made and they've got people on, like, you know, Bob Bradley's not leaving Toronto. Wayne Rooney's not leaving D.C. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> like, well, things can happen, but I don't think it's going to happen in the offseason, you know what I mean? Right. Um, that's true. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think it's going to make... I think somebody's going to get fired that maybe wouldn't have got fired because the team saw a, uh, an opportunity. Sure. So, uh, Peter Vermees, turn off your cell phone. <laughs> I don't... I think anyone's just too afraid to call him. <laughs> nobody, nobody has the guts to make that phone call to Peter Vermees and he probably wouldn't take it anyway He'd be like that's yeah, great right I'm fired I'll see you tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> didn't you just have that vibe of like Peter Vermees is going to do whatever the hell Peter Vermees wants that's true um, by the way we did have um, player award nominees the MVP nominees are Christian Arango from LAFC Andre Blake from Philadelphia Union, Sebastian Driussi from uh, Austin, uh, Chicharito from the Galaxy, and Andy Mukhtar from Nashville. Um, mm. I was, as as you will have heard me do, um, I'm a little surprised that Zellerion is not there. Um, surprised that Georgie Mihalovic is not there as well, although I would, uh, I, I would say that I haven't heard his name quite as much recently, but um, I, would have, uh, I would have looked to see him in that position. I don't disagree with any of those names that you just mentioned. And also, I, like, I, sorry, I'm just doing it in my head. I'm like, I, I can think of an MVP from just about every team this season. Like, there's a lot of really good players. 
uh, to go around. I mean, like you could make an argument for Ryan Gold being on that list. I mean, I guess for me is like if it's most valuable player in the league, then that's a different question. So the comeback player of the year. So first of all, I think it's it's wild that no, the only player for Montreal, Montreal is second in the East, and the only player that is considered for any of these awards is Kai Kamara, um, nominated for Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, the, the coach, Wilfred Nancy, is, is nominated for Coach of the Year. Um, is it not a little disrespectful to call it a comeback? I'm like, Kai Kamara does this pretty consistently. It's been better at Montreal, for sure. But I'm like, it's not like he's not been scoring goals with every team he's played for. But sure, so so, so here's my So here's my, my all of these. Jeremy Abobasi, who's coming back from being traded. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Gonzalo Iguain. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. But I I also think, like, for me, it's going to be Drusi or Mukhtar. And I, I would pick Mukhtar. And I don't, like, all of those players are fantastic and have done fantastic. Wait, no, sorry, you're talking comeback. I'm talking that that Ibobasi was nominated for comeback player and and Iguain was nominated for comeback player. Right, okay, yeah, yes. Sorry, wow. It's the end of the day, folks. <laughs> Never honors, caught up. Honor is an MLS player who has un- overcome injuries and or adversity in order to achieve success during the. 20th. What's the adversity that Iguain overcame? His team sucking. <laughs> he had to play for Miami. <laughs> fair enough you know what fair enough they're gonna uh, deserve they're... it oh yeah um uh, we should i i meant to say this i was gonna um I, this was in the notes um one other sad note to say is that um we've heard now that um lorenzo insigne uh who i believe had been and had some absences um, experienced, uh, uh, I believe, the death of his daughter. Oh, God. And uh, that's awful to hear about, and I just think that um, that is something you never want to hear about and, and, and never want to imagine happening to anyone. So um, best wishes to him and his family, and, and uh, it's just an awful um, it's just an awful thing to uh, to have happened. A miscarriage, sorry, that's what I'm saying. Uh, that's that's rough. Yes. Um, the other, I think, no, the most notable news that's happened in these last couple of days, as we speak, um, is that Merritt Paulson um, has stepped in as CEO and, and head of operations um, for the uh, uh, for the Timber Portland Timbers and Portland Thorns. He's Peregrine Sports, which he owns, is still the owner of the team. Um, this is in the wake of the Sally Yates report on NWSL, um, abuse, uh, alleging systemic abuse in the in the NWSL. Um, the there is a movement to look to have him uh, not be the owner anymore. Um, we will be talking about some of the issues that have come up in that report and uh, what will happen next um, closer to the end of the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's a, lots to dig into there, and, and I think we want to make sure that we do that in 
the right way in the right space. So we're going to talk MLS, get talk about decision day, do that, and then we can properly address the the Yates report and um and the the fallout and reactions and and hopefully some of the change that's come from it as well. That's right. Um. So there were, as noted, there was the uh, the the week prior the the penultimate decision day, the 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 day on which some decisions were made. Right. Um, m- m- uh, most notably, LAFC um, beating beating Portland two one in stoppage time with a goal from De- Dennis Buanga uh, in order. Which uh, is a particularly dramatic way to win the supporter shield. Yeah, sure is. Um, and uh, Miami four one Orlando also proceeded in that uh, in that those games where nobody knew which match week to attach them to. Uh, <laughs> Get the abacus out trying to figure out who's moving up and who's moving down. Boy, I really thought I had it in my head what the Whitecaps, like, chances. And then as the game was happening, I was just like, no, I'm confused again. I don't understand. (laughs) To me, it feels like we're out no matter what. But I'll just trust this. I'll get to that in a second. The other Wednesday game to tee us up is, again, a 2-2 Columbus road draw where they led. Uh, Oopsie poopsie. Against Charlotte. With the goal from Celerayan, um, and uh, a stoppage time header from Andre Shinyashiki for Charlotte, that that will that will uh, that will uh, 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 propel us toward decision day. But but you know, as we're talking about, we were just talking about the sixteen draws, the ten draws on the road. That was certainly one of them. Um, yeah, <laughs> let's talk about Vancouver, and let's do it first because that was one of the. That was one of the three teams um, that, that, that had an option. Uh, as we had talked about before, Vancouver had, um, a couple of weeks ago, had three pretty bad wins or pretty bad losses against teams where you really thought that they um, they should have uh, found a result. Then they um, beat LA Galaxy. Wild, they beat Seattle, wild, they beat Austin, wild, and then yeah. it was just like, like I looked it up on 538, after, I want to say the second, I have a, I had the specific date here, but after those three losses, the Whitecaps literally had um, less than 1% of a chance of making the playoffs, that's for 538's um, analysis, and yeah. As of the as of the final game of the season against um, uh, Minnesota, they had a twenty five percent chance. Without getting into you know the Scott Steiner math of it all, I was I was you know thinking, well Minnesota hasn't won a game of Minnesota's like lot of winless in five. Um, isn't there a chance that, that that something could happen for Vancouver here? I just feel like I'm going to be paying for the rest of my life that year that I was like, Minnesota's the dark horse. They're going to win it. And then they just sucked. But now it's like the the specter that follows me everywhere as I look up at my Minnesota United jersey and the team that knocked us out. But really, but really, I feel like in this game, and this maybe is our intro into it, 
I feel like Vancouver always knocks Vancouver out. No, like don't I don't want to take anything away from Minnesota, but Minnesota. But looking at their record coming up to this, they are they are a good team. But I mean, and and they did play very well. Like they they stayed compact and very disciplined. Um, and the Whitecaps just kept playing the exact same play in, which was crosses into the box that were easily headed away. Um, and they just took their chances. They got, they really only had a couple and Fragapane Gonzalez <laughs> finished them. And it was just sort of like a totally open and shut, like, well, Kate, there we go. There's the Whitecaps. There's our team. Two things that concerns me heading into it. Despite this uh, this this uh, stream of good luck, was that in that six match unbeaten streak, um, we can say, you know, um, six match six matches unbeaten for uh, or, or, or sorry winless for for Minnesota, um, but when you change the focus to uh, games at home, they were one loss, one draw, two wins in their last four games at home. Yeah. So in in all of the road games were losses. So I first that was my first sense that like mm, I'm not sure about this. Um, <laughs> the second one, there was a line on a commentary that was like, "It feels like the Vancouver Whitecaps have played poorly in every game that there's pressure, and that they have been able to succeed in this game these past couple welcome, games." Welcome to Vancouver, pal. And now the pressure is back. Um and that made me think, oh no. Oh no, <laughs> why would you say that? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I mean, it just, yeah, it just felt a little inevitable. Like, it it was a great run. Um, and I don't think I, I'd necessarily need to go too in-depth into Whitecaps' future coaching decisions right now, but I feel like that's kind of been a fair criticism of Sartini is he's got a hell of a lot of heart and can certainly rally a team and make, make them play beyond their levels. But there might be an easier way to do this that just involves some different tactics and some changes. And I I feel like that's kind of been the question over Sartini is like he stepped in at a very critical time and was able to work wonders, but there weren't really many expectations of him. He quickly surpassed those low expectations and I, you know, I feel like the Whitecaps have been pretty vocal about being, like, above the playoff line is our goal. Um, and, you know, we're below it. So, in the end, I, I felt like it was a really disappointing way to end the season. Um, it, it just felt like there was probably a way to beat Minnesota, but it, it really didn't look like from kickoff we knew what that way was. <laughs> and Minnesota just played their game and executed it perfectly again it it wasn't uh not like minnesota played a good game and if anything sort of made me pay attention be like okay like they still got they still got something in them but here we are on the outside looking in once again until the last game of the season it has felt like this season had sort of been an experiment with the vancouver whitecaps now we're constantly changing and moving things around even though there was no lineup changes this time, the the thought process was, you know, that's so that we that Vanny had, had explained that that's so that we can bring players off the bench, um, to 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 act as as threats. Well, when they brought players off the bench, they 
they ballooned things at one point to having as many as five attacking players because they didn't yeah. take they didn't they didn't switch Brian White for Cavallini they switched Cavallini for Tiber. Yeah. Um and. The, and that that felt like a real kitchen sink substitution moment where you're just like, okay, like this isn't going to pan out the way that you hope, but because like I you're guess... saying, very predictable, same, just 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 we'll throw it at him. Yeah, I don't feel like anything fundamentally changed about our approach, and and that for me has always been my soapbox about the three in the back system. Is if it's giving you an extra attacker, that should make some sort of like actual impact in your attack and it doesn't for the white caps so i go like well maybe <laughs> start with uh four defenders and if you can get that down which they did it seemed for those three games anyway i i just sort of felt like overall their season was always going to be one about missed opportunities and i don't think it's a major overhaul again that's needed but I got to say, looking at Cincinnati, it kind of has me asking questions about, like, is this maybe a coaching change thing that could be a good opportunity to actually not have to start from scratch with this team, but make a very crucial change? Here's the question. Here's the question that I that I ask with that. Um, is that I want this team to know how it's going to play. You know, I want it to have a, a, a more stable sense of 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 what the strategy is in, in, in how it plays best. And I think that if you, if you think that one more, uh, uh, a, a more full preseason, a, a pre, uh, a, a, a more proper preseason, I guess there were complaints about, you know, we don't, we, they laid on, they didn't know whether or not they were going to be able to do a preseason because of COVID concerns, et cetera. If you if you think it wasn't a proper preseason, if you if you get a proper preseason, is that going to fix it, um, or is it the the result of a manager that's still experimenting in his own career and with his own knowledge? And that's if you if you if you think that the if you think the question is going to get answered between now and the, the first kick of next season. I don't have a problem with with having Sartini stay around. Um, yeah, it's true. Somebody, whoever whoever is in charge of the team at that time should have an answer to how the team plays best. They should, and and I'm sure we'll get to it in the off season and once there's more news to to actually talk about there. But I did just want to throw this out there. I think it was Matt Doyle on MLS Soccer that had said, and I actually it was a, a sort of rare, astute observation about the Whitecaps, but like where's the youth development like you have all of these really good youth players who actually looked quite good at points that just all of a sudden were basically kind of out of the squad and like i don't think that was necessarily the wrong decision but you know this is kind of like the second coach in a row that really doesn't seem to be able to push well maybe arguably third coach in a row but is not able to get the younger players as much consistent playing time and see them actually develop through through to their full potential in the team and i thought that was a fair point is is that the white cap success has been built off of transfers coming in and more senior players and like i'm not fundamentally opposed to that when it's working but this is a club that's built its identity 
what little it has kind of around its youth system and, you know, the Alfonso Davies story and all that stuff. So it kind of sucks when you see a player like Baldissimo just benched for the better part of half a season. Um, certainly not, or and certainly not starting, right? Is it, it begs a question of like, well, I'm not necessarily saying he's the starting center defensive mid, but is he better than he was at the beginning of the season? Is And is he going to progress further in the team next year? I don't see that path very clearly. Um, from one Cascadia disappointment to another, <laughs> um, the Portland Timbers uh, welcomed RSL. Because of a quirk of the schedule, um, the Whitecaps were in... The Whitecaps made it to the point where they could have won that match, uh, and everybody said, well, what about Portland? Well, Portland and RSL are playing, so... It's sort of, though, these two games didn't really interact with each other in any way. Mm. Um, whereas it was sort of the, between the two teams in each game to, uh, to decide their own fates, as it were. Um, and in this one, uh, this was a experience where nothing seemed to go the way that Portland wanted it to go. Um, Savar- Jefferson Savarino gets the 19th minute goal. Um, the ball's played back to Rubio. Uh, Rubio Rudban for his first goal in 32 games. Heck yeah. Sometimes you just got to keep plugging away at it. Um, Hidalgo gets the third goal for RSL. And Dairon Espria, who is being talked about as the, the Mr. November or Mr. October run, kind of have hard to have a Mr. October run when you, your team doesn't make the playoffs. But there's still been two games in October and he scored in both of them. So the repu- the the story the story lives <laughs> the story lives yeah i mean he's been a, a bright spot i meant to look this up before the match but the, i saw mumblings on twitter about how eric williamson didn't start um and maybe wasn't even on the bench and i forgot to look it up but i i think it will become evident as we carry on but like things are not well in portland um i don't think we necessarily rated them super high um in terms of their chances um however they did finish above the white caps but uh rsl doing the damage that's right well the the thing i think with savarisi with savarisi that has created that problem is that um the notion that um the notion that that savarisi told the the media um i'm trying to remember who tweeted this um, that uh, Eric Williamson was not injured, contrary to to speculation. It was a coach's decision. Nevertheless, we missed him. Hmm. It's like you you did it though. <laughs> you're the one. You're the one that chose that. Yeah, it is perhaps not purposefully, but kind of a statement that's like, well, it'll forever be a mystery because it was the coach's decision. It's me. Like, okay. And by the coach, you mean you, right? Yeah. Do you want to explain that decision? Well, it's a mystery. Okay. We missed him. Did you win? Nope. You in the playoffs? Nope. All right. Well, (laughs) further questions, I guess. That's Oregonian beat writer uh, Ryan Clark. Who covers the uh, Timbers Thorns? Did the 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 nevertheless we missed him. Yeah, interesting. Um, so that's uh, that's tough. But RSL, 
You know, I think that the that you mentioned our our how we felt about Portland. The this was always going to be a bounce back year for them. Um and I don't think that obviously they didn't bounce back all the way. Um RSL have sometimes been hot and cold as well, but I think that they have uh they have done great in in what they have been able to do. And uh and they reacted they've reacted appropriately and, and, and clawed their way back in. Absolutely. And like I I love like it's okay to have an identity if that identity is a good one. And while you may want the identity of being top of the league every year, sneaking in every single time and just like crushing opponents to get there and then sometimes making weird playoff runs as well, like hell yeah. And I'm not I'm not trying to disrespect RSL. Like they've had a those fans have struggled um with their team. So like I, the team is playing well, they're coached well, bringing back Jefferson Sabarino was a really smart move, obviously for them. Um, yeah, when we get to our, our predictions, I'm I'm curious to know. I mean, they they have a tough matchup, but never count RSL out. Evidently not. In the Eastern Conference, I don't want to. I know that we, this is a little jumping, but jumping around. But we may as well talk about the games that had some real stakes behind them. Um, and, uh, Talk, you mean stop talking about our team and teams that are actually in the playoffs? Well, no, I, I think our team for once, the Whitecaps are one of those three are one of those teams that, that where yeah. the, the, uh, the result was up for, um, was up for discussion in, True. uh, the game mattered in the Eastern conference. Essentially there were a couple of teams. Cincinnati had to win their game. Um, which uh, they did. Um, they, yeah, yeah. They that was five two against DC, if I recall. It, it certainly was, and I mean, I think you could fairly say that, like, if your decision day game is against this year's DC United, you know, your chances are probably pretty good. <laughs> um, Brenner got a hat track hat trick in this one. My my notes going in chronological order as I was watching the highlights are just like, okay, opening a Costa goal is one of the easiest you'll see in MLS. Keepers way off his land, way off his line in no man's land. DC are stretched, and then I go, actually, the second might be worse. Actually, it might be the third. Like just <laughs> DC's backline, just complete capitulation again. And when I think about DC's season as a whole, it makes a lot more sense. These players are just trying to make it back home and they know they're out. Certainly they're trying. Celentano though just had multiple moments where I'm like, what are you doing, buddy? Like where are you going? What like get your feet sorted out. Get your angles. It's not all on him, but DC's backline was just complete capitulation here. And Cincinnati is has always been a quick attacking team and they've just missed some of that like the crispness and bite um and they found it in Brenner so they are in and I like I think we got to take a moment to just say to all the Cincinnati fans who've been long suffering with wooden spoons in their hand that's right uh congratulations well done like we knew the day would come we didn't maybe think it was going to be this season um but pat noonan has just completely reinvented this team without changing a lot of pieces um and done an amazing job so like dc's 
hurting and, and limping across the finish line, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get, you know, five easy goals. Well, it might a little bit, but it's a good one from them. And, and also, I will say the DC goals that came were just kind of like runs through midfield and Hail Mary shots from uh, JaVel Morrison. And then I forget the second one, but both good goals. So that's something for DC. Good goals. Good goals. The two they had were good. I think if if Miami wasn't formally in, I think that maybe they benefited from the fact that Orlando and Columbus played, but they got stopped by Montreal. Yeah, kind of, it's got to have been a weird week for Miami to have, like, got in and had some good performances and then just get pummeled by Montreal. <laughs> got to be a little bit uh, hot under the collar heading into their first playoff round. First playoff season, I guess. Great, you know the 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 goal against even was a was an own goal. So Montreal did everything here. The high level goal, <laughs> all the work. Lap line it scores. Kai Kamara turns and runs past the missing in action defense. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the um, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was going to move on. Unless you have one more point on this. No, I uh, well the the main point that I I just wanted to add, and this is probably another postseason discussion, but just of note, you know, we know Mahalovic is moving on. It sounds like Wanyama's confirmed he's moving on as well. There's a lot of key pieces of this squad that are not going to be there next season, and just adds a different flavor going into this playoffs because, um, you just wonder how much this team could change regardless of what happens in the playoff run, but they just, they're so, so strong. Um, and speaking of coaches that have like changed teams around, um, Wilford Nancy's just an incredible coach and, um, yeah, Montreal's well in Miami is in, um, in a surprising turn of things. We'll see how things go for them. Uh, so you're telling me that Montreal just needs to win MLS Cup then? Now is now is now is their opportunity. That is what I'm saying. Yeah, if they're gonna do it, this would be the year to do it because they're not gonna have the same lineup again to do it with next season. Um the the main item for discussion uh, in terms of uh, playoff contention in the East was Orlando versus Columbus. Um, that game was in Orlando. Uh, Following the uh, following the first half, Columbus had the lead through um, a ball from Lucas Elrond to Derek Etienne Jr. Um, and then second half happens. Junior Urso uh, turns it uh, turns to shoot it, gets a one-one, and then uh, a on the 84th they're they're barreling towards the finish. On the 84th minute, Facundo Torres uh, is scores the penalty kick that Orlando is awarded. Yeah, and it's a fair PK call too. <laughs> like it just, yeah, another blown lead. Um, I had sort of put in the notes like Porter admits his future is uncertain, but we didn't even get to get to that part because he was fired the next day. <laughs> And like, and for Orlando's part, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised they made it. They've been such a 
up and down team this year. 14 wins, 14 losses, six ties. Like they've been kind of all over the shop and they've been on the wrong end and the right end of some high scoring games. So yeah, big question marks over Orlando. I I really like them sometimes. And then other times I'm just like, what? I don't see what's happening here, but uh, they were able to overcome Columbus. If uh, and that really did feel like you know, kind of the nail in the coffin for Porter, right? Like not just the game, but the way it happened. It, it was kind of like, yeah, that's not that's not going to do it. The um, the top end of the conference, uh, Montreal got the win, and so the thought is, who is going to finish with that seed? It was Philadelphia. Um, after just uh. After Gazdag scoring uh, a hat trick with the hitting the ball out of the air, another for the penalty spot, and another one after fighting for the ball on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. TFC did never never looked up to this one, um, and and Philadelphia did what Philadelphia does. Daniel Gazdag, what does what Daniel Gazdag does? Um, if they, if Apple even so much as touches any of those dupe celebrations, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Um, yeah, TFC, you know, they spent a lot of money on this squad. They definitely have a mix of youth and senior experience, but so many problems and it, and it, maybe it was just one of those things that happens is that the team mentality at a certain point in the season sometimes just get seems to get kind of stuck and set in a certain way. But this wasn't like, you know, obviously they had their moments and you, you saw the quality, but I don't see this as a, a full complete team in, t- in Toronto yet. I, I think that there's probably three or four really important missing pieces that would tie all of this together, but also it's got to happen as a team. And, and just, again, the mentality of it is, and perhaps that's where some of the youth comes in, but honestly, it's in the senior players as well, where it's just, it's a critical point in the game. They could get stuck in. I think it would have meant a lot to them to show a really solid showing against Philadelphia, but there was only really one team in this one. Um, And that kind of felt like a lot of Toronto's late season forays and much of the early season as well. You know, it's not all lost there. It's good bones, but it's not a team right now. There was a lot of change. We've we've seen time and again bringing in, you know, big signings in July can have some some negative. It's just hard. Sometimes you just need one or more seasons to gel with that. Um, but I'm specifically going to draw my attention in terms of like what went wrong for uh, for Toronto. Getting rid of Pozuelo, that was. It was just the wrong time to do it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and perhaps as much as it wasn't working to again see a player that clearly didn't want to be there either, and then immediately turn around and just slot into Inter Miami like he's been playing there his whole life. Like, there's a lot of things that go into that, but I, I agree. I don't like. I think at the time it made more sense to me, but let's face it, things have not been good since then. They weren't that good before either, but. Um, yeah, lots, lots of work to do for them there. Philadelphia, of course, missed out on the, uh, supporter shield. LAFC was able to clinch that. 
Um, but number one conference seed does go to Philadelphia in the East. So they got that going for them. Um, and another really strong, high-scoring <laughs> result heading into the playoffs. Uh, L- LAFC did not uh, did not get that momentum with a home loss to uh, to Nashville with Teal Bunbury uh, being supplied. Hell yes, I thought it was supplied by Handy Mukhtar, but there isn't an assist here. Um, Mukhtar wins the Golden Boot. Fair enough, and rightfully so. Love a Teal Bunbury goal. Um. I also just want to give a special shout out to uh, poorly taken PKs by LA clubs. Uh, Arango gets a, a very fair penalty call. Lovitz barges him over in the box. He takes the PK and just does one of the strangest, silly little run ups I've ever seen and scuffs it right at Joe Willis, who kind of almost misses it because he's just so confused. He's like, what, what is happening right now? And then just swats it away. Um, this one to me is the big like asterisks over it course we know what lafc is capable of we know they're the supporter shield winners and it would just be that's so mls of them to kind of crash and burn in the playoffs I'm not saying saying i'm hoping for that but um i you know it, it puts some question marks over things uh, nashville's been a very strong team they've struggled a little bit at points um but i thought they they managed this game really well and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll get to our playoff picks. That's all I want to say for now. But well done from Nashville, LAFC. I've got questions for you. Austin continue to have a perhaps not the the most inspiring postseason run in or end of season run in. They did not uh, uh, they did not manage to beat Colorado at home. Uh, with Drew UC taking just a 81st minute penalty kick. Um, or no, did I say? Or with an 81st minute penalty kick and Diego Rubio scoring in stoppage time to make it 1 1. That'll happen to you. I feel like there was some fair rumblings about an offside call in this game. Um, and there's two, and it's the second one. I, and now, of course, I didn't write any of the players' names or anything like that. The second one, I was like, mm, that feels like it could have maybe been left as a as a call, but or left as a as a good goal. But as ever, like you gotta make your own luck in MLS and playing against Colorado. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate for um, Austin. You know, finished second in the West, have had an incredible run. Josh Wolf is, as you mentioned at the top, nominated for Coach of the Year, rightfully so. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like Austin, <laughs> I know we're very vocal about criticism leveled against them. It's not that we don't think Austin's great. It's just that there's definitely issues there. Um, and form isn't everything heading into the playoffs, but it helps. I was listening to uh, Josh Wolf's interview with Grant Wall heading into the Austin RSL game. They were like, this is the game that's our focus. This is the game we're going to have to win if we if we can or we have to secure this home play update. And this is this is what we're going to do. Um, and they won that three nothing. The problem is, is that the only other the last other game they won was August 26th. 
though, yeah. is that it's it's simply the one win in seven. Um, not great, <laughs> not great for a team that has looked great at times in this game. You know that one win was four one against LAFC, and that could be the conference final. Totally. Yeah, yeah, and it's like far be it for me to count Austin out. Not saying that at all, but you know, <laughs> drawing one one with. Colorado on decision day is maybe not the way you drew it up in the locker room. Perhaps not. Um, the what's another game that that popped out to you? Um, yeah, I'm just looking around here. Um, well, we know that Galaxy obviously were in anyway, and they had a pretty good pummeling of Houston. Which I don't think is necessarily notable, except for the fact that, uh, again, just speaking about form heading into the playoffs, I think that serves Galaxy well to have it, you know, even fairly recently, some not so great games. Um, I think that this this was a really important one for them to just go in, put a strong performance in. The pressing I really liked. Um, they just kind of smothered Houston. Houston probably gave them that opportunity a little bit. But I saw an LA side that looked a lot more ready for the playoffs than I think we have seen in previous weeks. That they, they, it's true. They, this, if you were looking for momentum coming in, uh, it's a good one. And overall, I would say that this is an improved season for them. Yeah, yeah, right. Ricky, um, Ricky Pouge is good. Yep. Uh, Javeliak is good. Yep. Chicharito's doing his thing. Great, great leader as well. Mandatory MVP, MVP nomination. Yeah, in his con, in his contract, but he's been he's been great. And I, like I, I'm all about it to see a player who's been everywhere and kind of done everything, but maybe struggled on teams and not just with form, but just you know belief, belief from coaches, all of that. To see players come to MLS and see it change the way they play and them enjoy themselves again. Like, I don't know why it makes me feel happy, but it does. And that's why, like, seeing Iguain kind of reinvent himself and say, like, he's lo- he fell in love with soccer again, it's after a pretty hard, like, year he's had. Um, and that's what you want to see, right? Like, it's cool that people want to play in MLS and actually enjoy doing it. Um, elsewhere, Red Bulls beat uh, Charlotte. Um... You know, Red Bulls, I feel like, are kind of are consistently just in quietly in the background. We're like, are the Red Bulls very good this year? And then you're like, oh, they're like second or third. Um, they're only fourth this year, but I, I feel like this was a, a strong finish. Charlotte obviously has lots to build on. Um, Alvis de Paula scored his first goals in MLS. Um, and that's, again, the kind of thing you want to see heading into the playoffs. A guy, younger guy who's not yet scored, scoring a brace to win you a game on decision day. I think that bodes well for the playoffs for them. I think so as well. Um, NYC uh, had their uh, their had a win at Atlanta with two nothing. Uh, the you have the Gabriel Pereira chip over the back line early on. I feel like you don't see that happen to them very often. Nope. Um, a bear volleying off the corner and a header back uh, after receiving a header back. And Teo Almada gets on the end of a cross and pops it up to Gutman. Um, 
we've heard essentially that, that they don't know what's going to happen, but they don't really expect to see Almada back. Um, one player that I've worried about is that uh, Joseph Martinez was stapled to the bench in this yeah. game after uh, after scoring the, the the game before. Yeah, when he did have a a late chance, he did come on. Um, I also I should should have got my sources on this, but apparently there was also like some more issues with him off field. Um, not just the chicken flipping, but apparently between then and now as well and leading up to it it's messy it sucks you know joseph martinez was not so long ago saying i want to die in atlanta and this was his club for forever and something has gone seriously wrong in that relationship and it it seems like there's probably like all good divorces blame on both sides but you know massive existential question hanging over atlanta but at the same time, like they've just they've not been very good at all two years in a row. So be interesting to see what happens there. Um Yeah. Dallas, very good. Gets their uh uh two one <laughs> win against um Sporting Kansas City. Yep. Sebastian Legette scores his first for the team, so that's uh that's nice to see him get some success and in this certainly looks like a team that's equipped um to uh to have a good time of it in the postseason. Yeah, no, and uh, I think there were some rumors about Graham Zusi maybe hanging up the boots and he was quick to quash those and he was like, Nope, I'm Wandalowskiing this. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. <laughs> um I'm gonna stay forever. I'll live forever. Mere mortals. So apparently Graham Zusi is gonna be back next year. I don't know if it will be with SKC. I think he said he would like that, but we'll see. Um and then I does it does it doesn't does sit well with me? No, at this point, like I feel like he's the kind of guy that would be like, you can pay me less and keep me on the bench a bit more, but like I'm fucking staying on this team. Um, and then uh, playing for nothing, Seattle, San Jose, nothing was accomplished. It was a two-two draw. Uh, you know, there's like, some good memes about with uh, Thanos. That's like. What did it cost you? We won, we won Champions League. What did it cost you? Everything. Um, it was just never going to quite fall for the Sounders this year. I'm interested. You know, the earthquakes for me are the team to watch. We know Brian Schmetzer will figure it out, and Seattle will probably win MLS Cup next year. Earthquakes, for me, are the interesting story here because it's so easy to just take a team that's been consistently bad to say, well, you know, the earthquakes, they're still going to be dead last next season. And, you know, they might be. (laughs) But with Lucho Gonzalez at the helm next season, clearly San Jose has lots of things to work with. Bobasi was a massive get for them. We've seen coaches do it. Um, And if there's ever a coach to unlock this team defensively and turn them into a solid unit, I think they've got the right coach. So. I'm cautiously optimistic, and let's just be honest, it can't get worse for San Jose. The uh, Some of the pieces are there, you know. Obviously, um, is there. If they keep Cade Cowell, who got a goal. Uh, yep. This this feels like it just speaks to me from Seattle's perspective. The um, the ultimate in the second half of their season. Just, just such a great illustration of the second half of their season. Madero scores in the first minute. And then San Jose respond three minutes later. Ladero scores again. 
and then they have the moment of brilliance brilliance yeah. from Cal in the seventy fifth minute. Just it's not that it's not that there are no it's not that there was no uh positives at Lumen Field. Um but just not enough to uh to to outweigh what the you know, uh, uh, offensively to uh, to outweigh what was going on defensively. Very true. So with all of that, those are the games. That's decision day. Let's talk bracket. Um, I think usually we've done it where I'm just like, who do you think is going to win it all? I think this is the most MLS-y MLS season that there has been. I read it in so many words. Like, in terms of parity around the league, like, there's been a lot of movement up and down the table. Of course, you know, the Philadelphia and LAFCs, you're like, yeah, we know that they're going to be in. But it brings us, of course, to the first round playoffs. Um, and I would like to know, who do you got? Um, we got Red Bulls versus Cincinnati in uh, round one. Who do you think takes that one? Forward to your point about people... Um overlooking Red Bulls. I don't wish to do that, but the momentum, you, you've got to love Cincinnati's momentum right now. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and I also agree with your reason, where I'm like, I want Cincinnati to win. I don't necessarily think that that's the likely option. However, like, I also don't want to bet against the Cincinnati team, so... That's that's my pick, probably leaning a bit more towards Red Bulls, if I'm being honest, in terms of who will actually win. But um, so that I can feel good about it if it happens, I'm going to say I think Cincinnati's going to win that one too. The uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely the one I feel the shakiest looking at this bracket. The one I feel shakiest about. Interesting. Okay, which I I think speaks well to Cincinnati, right? Um, the third seed, uh, the third seed. In the Eastern Conference, New York City takes on the sixth seed, Miami. As as good as Miami have been, I I just feel like New York City are the defending champs. They've struggled, but they've seemed to have found their rhythm again. I think it's going to be New York. You know, um, I... I think that it's it's not as though Miami has been the um the picture of of consistency but New York has had enough drift and enough here and there and in yeah. you know obviously a, a a moment of of loss of a player and um in Tati Castellanos over the course of the season um and Miami although you know <laughs> although maybe the the We'll say before decision day, I was like, Miami could really do something here. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. But I'm still going to put them as the winners here. It's it's yeah. it's a it would be an upset, um, but they have the pieces to to realize that. And I'll say this: like, I agree. Like picking New York, I was like, I I definitely feel like I'm maybe hedging my bets here and just being like, well, it's probably the safer choice. <laughs> it's but... pretty safe as a choice. But also. Like, I would not be completely gobsmacked if Miami wins this one. And I think this will be a really important game to watch because uh, it'll be sort of a shot across the bow of all teams if Miami's able to to make it through and could be rematched up against uh, Montreal, potentially. 
Um, Montreal, Montreal will, uh, yes, that's right. Speaking of, um, yeah, I think, uh, well, I'll ask you Montreal, Orlando first round, you know, what, what do you think? I think this is going to be the most fun in any of these. (laughs) Um, this is the, the, the biggest fireworks potential, um, and I know Orlando has the ability to make things happen. I know Junior Urso is great. I know that they uh, they 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 made it work um, in the uh, in the environs of Exploria Stadium, but they are not at Exploria Stadium. They are at uh, Stade Saputo, and I think that Montreal is going to win. That's an important thing. I didn't even look to see where the games were when I made my picks. That would have been a much cleverer way of approaching it. Uh, but I have the same pick anyway. I, yeah, I, I, Orlando has some of the pieces, um, and like you said, the, at times they look really good. But Montreal has been incredible, and I think it would be incredibly disappointing for them to to not beat Orlando. You know, credit to Orlando for doing what they've done to get into the playoffs. But I, I feel like this is one where you'd be Wilfred Nancy didn't come here to, you know, crash out in the first round. And I don't think this team will. Um, LA, we LA, we, we now switch to the Western. Well, you, do we want to talk about the seeds before we, we leave the East? So you mentioned the bracket, the brackets, the winner of in, uh, New York City and Miami goes on to face the winner of Montreal and Orlando. And the winner of uh, New York Red Bulls and Cincinnati goes on to face Philadelphia. Obviously, New York, Philadelphia has been um, something of a uh, smoldering point in the past. Uh, so if that is, that will be part of the discussion if that happens. Um, how are you feeling about Philadelphia in in uh, in sitting? Um, I, I, it's, I'm not sure, to be honest. Like, all of me wants to just be like, it's Philadelphia, it doesn't matter who they're playing. They got it. Um, it just feels like if there's soccer gods, they maybe don't love <laughs> the union and something seems to always go wrong or Philadelphia comes really close and then just d- it quite isn't quite able to do it. And I know a huge amount of that is due to circumstances far beyond their control last season, but um, it's probably going to be Philly that goes through. Let's be honest. I, I think that's fair to say, but I'd be curious to see. Um, I think both both opponents could potentially beat Philadelphia. I know that sounds like a really weird thing to say, but I think Red Bulls could do it, and I think Cincinnati could do it. Is it likely? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but they could. In the Western Conference. In the West. Sorry, Sorry you took you a long pause now. <laughs> that was my cue. Um, I'm going to take it anyway. Dallas, Minnesota. How are you feeling about this matchup? Dallas, Minnesota. I don't want to always, you know, I, I, I was actually, uh, I, I jumped out ahead here with my point about Stan Saputo, um, because I don't want to over rely on, well, this team's playing at home. This team's playing away. These are all home and away games. There's no home and away games. These are all single, um, elimination. Teams are going to have to uh, 
you know, overcome that if they want to have any um, chance of succeeding. But f- but for- forward to my point about um, Minnesota and Vancouver, where, you know, they have Minnesota went um, winless in six, and then, uh, but all of the, most of the losses were on the road. Well, this, mm. game, this game's on the road too. Yeah. Dallas certainly has a better road record. And that's why Dallas is my pick to win this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that because what? It's like one, two, three, four. August 14th is the last time they won the away game. Yeah. Just, and it feels like Dallas defensively at home, if they're going to lock that back door. Like, now, of course, Minnesota is going to finally prove me right and prove me wrong in this moment. But I think it, I think Dallas has got that one locked away. Um, Austin RSL. So this is going to be this is also going to be fun to watch. Uh, yeah, and, and I think we'll be uh, if you are uh, if you are RSL if you are are looking to advance the RSL, you're saying there's a chance angle. Um, Austin's end of season run absolutely uh, would would lead you to think sure. in that direction. Yeah. However, I <laughs> think that the the clock resets when you go to the postseason. This is going to be, you know, the, if if my memory of that interview with um, Josh Wolf is correct, the first Q two stadium playoff game. Um, it's going to be outrageous. The atmosphere is going to be intense. Um, Austin have a lot of quality in the side, uh, and and RSL got their moment, but I don't think they're going to get this win. Yeah, I don't think so either. <laughs> <laughs> and again, never bet against RSL, but um, I, I I think RSL is also going to go into this with a n- nothing to lose and everything to win attitude, which is exactly the one they should have and always do have so that will keep it spicy for sure um regardless of what the end goal line is i'd i think it's going to be a tough tough night out for austin um i still think they're gonna win (laughs) for whatever reason the only that this game in la nashville are the only games that will be taking place at the same time in this uh in this in this First this this first postseason round, um, number four seed LA Galaxy versus number five seed Nashville. Who do you got? Yeah. Um, I got Nashville. I just mm. think that they've been kind of slippy at points this season, and and not quite as as sound as we saw last season. But I think that they're the better team. To me, Nashville should win this one. Um, LA Galaxy has been much improved. I know that they're technically above Nashville in the table. Um, But for me, the tiebreaker in terms of who I think is going to win, especially in the playoffs, is defensive record. Um, This sort of separates the wheat from the the chaff in MLS. Is like, okay, you can score a lot of goals. Can you also keep some of them out? And Galaxy has gotten better at that and certainly addressed a lot of their defensive issues. Um, Nashville can sometimes make mistakes. They're coming into this uh, with a good win, beating 
the supporter shield winners. Why not? I, I think it's Nashville. Who do you got? Um, I was going to say, I think those are all great reasons. And, and there's a lot of reasons why this Nashville team is, is road tested and ready to go. Um, I had LA Galaxy just because this, um, this upturn in their fortunes, the, the, the success of multiple different pieces of the, the, the squad working together um, seems to demand um, some sort of a result. Yeah, that's fair. You also think like they, they really, really have to want to play LAFC in the conference semis. Like the opportunity to knock LAFC out even though they get a bye, like, I feel like that's going to be real good motivation. I noticed, I don't, I don't remember if it was like this last year. I would have to check. I feel like the fact that, that you do, uh, I think the fact that you do, like, um, you don't reseed, where it's like the, the number one, seed, the one, number one seed doesn't play the lowest remaining seed. The number one seed plays the, the the seating is locked in, I guess, prior to. Right. Uh, yeah. That seems to be a situation uh, set up to guarantee um, beyond a shadow of a doubt that there there uh, there will be an El Trafico if if LA Galaxy uh, deliver. Potentially, for sure. I mean, I I also feel like looking at this bracket, like if there was ever a year for some wild shit to go down and some upsets to happen, like I feel like it's all there. It's going to be on those teams to do it. But, you know, things look really interesting to me if, and this is just the chaos in me that loves this, is if Galaxy beats Nashville, then beats LAFC and is in the conference finals, like it starts to raise some interesting questions, right? Like it kind of puts everybody on notice when you have upsets and galaxy are a, a much improved team. So it, it could happen. I was going to say, we, we talked a little bit of this about this earlier with, with LAFC. Um, I think that the break, I don't want to put too much stock in Greg Vanny and just be like, Greg Vanny's good. We know that, but he has um, a lot of amazing postseason experience. And I think that some teams really need to, benefit from continuing momentum like if you put a if you put a a week break in front of rsl right now that would totally murder them um Mm. but uh i think that you can if you can treat this week like an opportunity to train i think that that would be that would be to greg vanny's benefit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, absolutely. And and we've seen the bye be cruel to teams in the past, right? Like, it, it's not a guarantee of success. Every team kind of wants it. And then by the time you get it, you're like, wait, <laughs> now we have to sit on our thumbs for a week. Um, anyway, that's, that's the bracket. Um, a lot of games kicking off this weekend. So, of course, we will catch up to date once we have some results to talk about. Um, totally, totally off the cuff. Totally off the cuff. Who's winning it all? Uh, I didn't want to do that this year. No time. Um, no time. No time. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Um, rushing you on purpose. New York City. Mm. Uh, I don't. I'm not confident in that pick, but I just feel like sometimes I overthink it. 
The smart but annoying choice. The smart but annoying choice. I know people be like, but Montreal beat Orlando, and I'm like, not necessarily. Um, I've, uh, you know what? I just, I don't know. I'm just gonna stick to my original answer because I could change it like four different times. Who do you got? I think I think during the course of recording the show, I did I decided the answer of my heart, and that's Montreal. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I will be cheering for Montreal. We got one Canadian team in. But that's not my only deciding factor, but I need something to go on. So, yeah, I would like to see Montreal make the final. That would be cool. And they deserve it. And I think they can do it as well. Um, before we wrap up and, and leave, folks, we did want to, you know, address the Sally Yates report that came out and the things going on in NWSL and, of course, across soccer, across sport. Like, there's a lot to unpack, um, but we there's there's you know, some really important things here that we wanted to make sure we spent some time with and, and talked about. Um, Essentially, yeah. this this report um, came following the uh, the athletics reporting that spoke about Paul Riley. It was the scope of it covers the whole league. Um, and um, it was pretty... Rough reading. This is not stuff that is going to be, if you are following, as as you noted, the Hockey Canada stuff in the news, um, if you follow the Vancouver Whitecap stuff, oh, some of this is, is, is a sadly repeating story, but this is, we have spoken before of reports that don't do what, what maybe is needed for them to do, or reports that don't um don't address everything in a way that it that, that things need to be addressed and this was a report where just from the very start of it i'm not even going to get into the anecdote at the start of the report but it did me psychic damage like it was awful this is harrowing um this is as as bad as it ever has been and 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 um it's just that seeing it laid out this way in terms of the scale of it and in the finding that abuse in the league was systemic is um is just awful to 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 look at and and you know there's a need for uh there's a continuing need for change and, and some of that is being realized and some of that is also going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. And and I think it also bears mentioning and as many people have already noted about this report and what makes it so different from so many other reports is it really states things in very clear language and doesn't try to well cover anything up and actually says what what has has happened in situations whereas we saw with the tom tomlinson report for the whitecaps like you know rephrasing you know, children to young women and like not using the word violence. And this was just such a very different report in that regard to talk about specifics and force people to look at the thing they don't want to look at. It's incredibly difficult to, to read. It's obviously, there aren't even words for, you know, what people have gone through and what people have experienced. Um, but when these kinds of reports sometimes happen, as, as you said, like it's just so watered down and, and there's no real like definitive anything and by design, right? 
it's designed to make you be like, well, I guess that's not conclusive. This feels a very, very different approach. Um, and, and it has really huge implications as well. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to read, this is the, this is the, the last two paragraphs of the, of the, of the first section, I guess, of the, the executive summary. Our investigation has revealed a league in which abuse and misconduct, verbal and emotional misuse, abuse and sexual misconduct, had become systemic, spanning multiple teams, coaches, and victims. Abuse in the NWSL is rooted in a deeper culture of women's soccer, beginning in youth leagues, that normalize, normalizes verbally abusive coaching and blurs boundaries between coaches and players. The verbal and emotional abuse players describe the NWSL is not merely tough coaching. And the players affected are not shrinking violence. They are among the best athletes in the world. They include members of the U.S. women's national team, veterans of multiple women's World Cup and Olympic tournaments, and graduates of legendary NCAA Division I soccer programs. In well over 200 interviews, we heard report after report of relentless degrading tirades, manipulation that was about power, not improving performance, and retaliation against those who attempted to come forward. Even more disturbing, were the stories of sexual misconduct. Players described a pattern of sexually charged comments, unwanted sexual advances, and sexual touching, and coercive sexual intercourse. Teams, the league, and the federation not only repeatedly failed to, uh, to respond appropriately when confronted with player reports and evidence of abuse, they also failed to initiate basic measures to prevent and address it, even as some leaders privately acknowledged the need for workplace protections. As a result, abusive coaches moved from team to team, laundered by press releases thanking them for their service, and positive references from teams that minimize or even conceal misconduct. Those at the NWSL and USSF in a position to correct the record stayed silent, and no one at the teams, the league, or the federation demanded better of coaches. Yeah. Coaches. Yes. Sorry, I remember my point now, and that is you'd said, like, every single person has lost credibility here. Yeah. that's att attached to this there's zero um and i think that's a really important point and i want to like make that before we talk about you know actions if any that have have resulted because i just think that that is a true fact that needs to be reckoned with that the the clubs and, and league and all of the people attached to these um to to the report and to the incidents have lost all credibility. They don't get to decide what happens next. Um, that, that to me has to be front and, and center is, is it just cannot be the same thing where we, that there has to be a sea change as a result of this, but th there is zero credibility um, up to and including in the report saying clubs actively tried to, um, impede our access to witnesses and impede the investigation up to it like being written especially in in, in of course there's a lot of um the teams that include um the red stars and and um racing louisville have have stuff to answer for but but the the portland is where a lot of this hits the hardest um and and that was a team that that was one of those teams mentioned as, as being obstructive. That is a team that had a a report released in August that um, said 
the, the general manager, Gavin Wilkinson, who, who had been the Thorns general manager and, and had been moved out of the position, but allowed to continue in his role as, as, um, as general manager, um, mm-hmm. or, or as general manager for the Timbers side, had, had done no wrongdoing. We now know as a result of the report that he, uh, the report says that he essentially um, said that the player put Paul Riley in a bad position in that um, that they would he would hire him again in a heartbeat. He got him that job. Yeah. In 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 I feel like you could argue. And and the in the Timbers were defending him and in doing everything they could to keep him in that position. And ultimately this is a, a pattern that we've seen through this report, through the Canada soccer report of the Whitecaps is is helping the person looking out for the interest of the person being um being let go and not looking yeah. for the out for the interest of, of, of the players and the people affected by the by the Which player. when you look at the fallout that's resulted and I know that we've talked about this numerous times is that teams approaching it as a PR disaster as opposed to like a human rights issue or a violence issue. But yet I don't even know if that was necessarily the correct thinking because as this report clearly demonstrates, it's a systemic thing. Like you only watch out for these people if you're actually trying to cover things up and and work against these things. So it's, it's much more serious. I mean, and, and like doing things only for PR reasons would obviously still be a terrible reason to do things. And we know it doesn't work because both the Thorns and Timbers Timbers are now hemorrhaging sponsors, many of them either pausing, stopping their sponsorship altogether or redirecting funds. Um, So it certainly didn't pan out in that way. And that just shows you there's a deeper cultural thing to this that's far beyond just like, oh, well, you know, that would look bad if that person, you know, got fired. Like, can we not just admit we live in a time where like you can fire for people for pretty much anything, breaking the law and, you know, doing the things that some of these people have done should be punishable by at least firing. Why are they being protected? Like what's in it for the, the clubs here? What's in it for these men who, and, and women who protect these people. And I know a lot of it is, is about power. You know, like it's just, yeah. The thing about the sea change that has to happen that you mentioned is, and and, and I I don't think that this means that like the league should exist, but um, and I think that that Merritt Paulson has clearly who removed himself as CEO. The 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 supporters are still calling for him to sell the team. Um, the so many people. I think that that that. Having uh, this season, I didn't have as good of attention to to NWSL, but I've had better attention. And it is just jaw-dropping to step back into thinking about 2017 and 2018. And that, like, all of the people that we're talking about were the central figures in United States women's soccer. Yeah. Yeah. To the top. This was the, this was the, the, this was the edifice. This was the institution. And um, it is good that there has been a lot of movement. And, and 
I think that the the hope is that, but there's a lot of teams that are going to have to lose owners. Yeah, you know, if you're going to get rid of if you if you're going to ask the um, if you're going to ask Arnim Whistler to sell the Red Stars, you're going to ask Merritt Paulson to sell, and you already got Deloy Hanson to sell, then in that obviously resulted in a team moving. Um, the I hope that that is replaced by people that want to be here and, and, and want to participate. Um, it's also recruiting those people is an existential concern. Absolutely. Because, I mean, if we're talking about power protecting power here, the pe- kinds of people who can afford sports clubs really only often have one concern in mind. That's making, well, first of all, making lots of money, but second of all, looking out for themselves. And I just think no matter how many times we hear the word systemic, people still have a hard time understanding what that actually means, that this is a cultural embedded thing that works with or without, uh, you know, certain other people in places. It works without, um, it works regardless of who you put in positions. It means that the culture is still there and there's still, mechanisms in place that are protecting people um the wrong people so there's a lot of reckoning still to happen um yeah and and i just feel like that's where we need to be laser focused is to not drop this and and settle for any of the just horrifyingly inadequate and outright lying that's come from clubs in terms of addressing sexual violence and addressing misconduct from coaches like it just yeah. Um, the Vancouver Whitecaps, I guess, angle of this is is that uh, not angle, but but the the thing that has you know returning to the Vancouver Whitecaps issue, which is um, in in many many cases a similar issue. Um, the I think it's really frustrating the way that you know they had this MLS investigation. It found that in in many ways the investigation was concerning, although it stopped at not saying that there was outright wrongdoing done. And we learned that following the the curtain, the that some executives were being suspended. That 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 basically all the the previous executives had left. Um, at the at the same time as we heard that Axel Schuster is getting his contract um, renewed. Who was the person that t- essentially took over just before everybody got, uh, before all these suspensions had happened? Except that Bob Leonard Doozy is still working as a club liaison, making business deals, and who had been the president of the team, and who had been a major figure in both of the Kara McCormick blog posts um, in terms of somebody that was trying to handle player concerns trying to respond to player concerns. And uh, Dan Leonarduzzi, who uh, is still working in the Academy Centers part of the club, which Academy Centers refers to um, the other academies, other places other than Vancouver. So, like, they have an Academy Center in Nelson. They have an Academy Center in Saskatoon. Right. Um, the uh, Which, that's something that's really confused, really frustrating and, and we know that Mark McMahon um had reported that Dan Leonard Doozy was the person who handled a lot of the player complaints in the twenty twenty one or the twenty eleven 
issue involving Hubert Busby Jr. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of where his deal was, is that he kind of allowed that situation to be managed quietly. Um, and they were still involved with the club. People would like them to not be... I, I, I can't state enough how how even though it's not an not a executive role, um, the, there has to be movement away from there. This is these, of course, Bob Leonarduzzi is somebody that is synonymous with the club over over the course of its um, the course of its life. He played for the team. He was a manager at the time that uh, essentially the the movement of the the eighty sixers corresponded with his managerial career and in his time with the, the Canadian national team and and things. And he's always going to put that first as all of these people are, right? It's always about the credentials and what they've done for the sport. And well, I've done this and I've done that. And they clearly will do, they will stop at absolutely nothing to maintain that. And even in the, Exactly. And even in, you know, Axel Schuster's just re-signed with the White Caps and basically all but saying like, well, but we need their like business contacts and stuff. And they're too, basically being like, they're too essential to just completely throw away entirely. And it's like, what? It's not, that's not good enough. It, it, it just is no longer, it never was, and it's certainly not now anywhere close to good enough to be like, well, we'll just sort of stay. Um, <laughs> it's also like, for different reasons, but coming out that Greg Kerfoot's organization is now under legal investigation, which Leonard Doozy is also a part of, just so is like just to a whole clear, other branch of... To be yeah. clear about what exactly is happening there, uh, there was um, concerns about its charitable status. Yes. Um, yes. Due to um, where exactly money was going in terms of, I don't think it was being like, um, Bezel allegedly, but I think that there were concerns about whether or not it could qualify as a charitable organization. Um, and they say that they are trying to reconcile that, but they have lost the charitable status. Um, it also, but also like the, the time of it, like literally as this is all these things are happening to be like they're also being investigated for another. Like, I'm just, I don't know, like, I know libel is a thing but i'm just saying like come on these are the people that we're dealing with here like for the same reasons that i just brought up of why leonard juicy is so associated with the team those are the reasons that he has to go because if you're going to have a break if you're going to change the culture if this club is going to move forward and and, and into a new future, and, 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 and there's going to be change in, in the leadership and change in how we look at it, um, then it has to be done without them. And I think part yeah. of the reason why is I think some of these decisions that have been made by them over the course of, like, is, is with this idea of, of um, you know, looking up for number one. We've got to, we've got to get the white caps to continue existing and it's one of those small organizations where where every year it's just the thought is well how do we make sure we make it to the next year i'm not 100 i don't don't i've never been involved in the office but but when you hear about you know how the how some of these things were ran and, and you read some of these reports 
you know, these are these are things managing, as you said, human rights issues as though they were um, PR issues with the idea of, oh, well, we have to do this to save the team. You have to acknowledge the idea that if you can't hold your ideals, that maybe it's not worth saving. And then if you breached your ideals to, quote unquote, save the team, um, you maybe aren't well, you're not, you don't deserve to have it. Yeah. You don't deserve to have this. If you feel like, oh, well, this team would have never been anywhere um, without me. It's like, well, this team still exists despite you because of what has happened. And it's not like these people, if they're not actually forced out in a meaningful way, like they're not going to sit on the sidelines. This has all been about protecting power. Do you think Leonard Doozy's really going to turn his phone off and be like, well, I'll just wait for them to call me? You know, like uh, it's just, yeah, it's too much. Um, the Whitecaps also announced literal days after the Yates report that they had hired Steph Labe, which is a great hire, um, announced her hiring um and held a big media event about it as well and scrubbed pretty much any mention of any quote-unquote updates to their organizational structure from their news page i um i like steph labby a lot the role is is um is geared around the activities that the club continues to have in women's soccer in terms of the academy and the idea of trying to start a women's league. Um, obviously, that is a great goal, and the Vancouver Whitecaps are an important voice for that to happen, if it's going to happen. Um, but all of those things aside, the organization had no credibility to be making a move at this, like this, at this time. There is no... Um, there is no... Uh, require... There, there's no, like... Like, the how can you go into next season as the Whitecaps and try to play soccer and you're still having headlines about the fucking Leonard Juzies every week? It has to stop. It has to stop. And the idea of trying to move forward like this while you're still dealing with the stuff from the past, while you still will not make that clean break and you, you, you cannot make amends in the way that people want you to make amends. It's like the... And part of, part of sorry to interrupt, but like, Part of silencing people is to buy credibility, is you bring in people that have more credibility than your organization does, and you put them in public-facing positions. And, like, I am not here to judge Steph Labe's decisions, or, like, I think she's great, only have great things to say. But um, this is what large organizations do, is they they go out and say, like, okay, well, like, we'll take the heat off by bringing in somebody that people like and does have credibility. But if all the people who don't have credibility are still there, especially given what we're talking about, the Whitecaps shouldn't be anywhere near women's soccer until they can make meaningful changes. Like, they shouldn't be allowed. And and that's what's so frustrating and, and feels so gargantuan about all of this, is that ultimately the people who call the shots are all the people that our name, their names are in this report, right? Like, these people have made themselves to be untouchable. And, like, we've just been focusing on MLS and NWSL, but you were talking about this is not just even 
Canadian sports. It's sports everywhere. And it's like, I'm, I'm obviously I'm glad that all of this stuff is, is coming to light, but also pe- women have been saying this for decades. Uh, I don't know why it's taken until now to listen, but we cannot just listen and shrug our shoulders and then go, okay, well, World Cup is coming up. Like, let's just all rally together and put out pointless statements about how player safety is our number one commitment. That's horseshit. You don't get to say that anymore. You Like, it means nothing. The people have to go. <clears throat> yeah. That is... Uh, that's a situation that's going to be evolving. It's a situation we're going to have to keep watching, and and uh, and um, I guess as always, I think we always say this, you know, just always thinking of the players who are in, in other individuals who are victims in this, and in mm-hmm. the people we know about, the people we don't know about, and I also uh, want to appreciate the people who have worked to bring this to light. Um, there are. Specific people who, um, yeah. you know, reporters and and people who ran the good investigations and and people who were whistleblowers and and uh, and you know you look up and down that that report you see, you know, anonymous player complaints that really kept got the whole ball the the ball rolling and and um, so those people you know anyone who wants to enjoy this as entertainment owes a great. Um, a great thank you and a great a great you know yeah yeah absolutely and i mean and this all is as a result of survivors coming forward and making this possible um as you said as well some some great journalists but yeah as you say we we owe them a lot more um that they've been getting and and also just you know for our listeners and people who are following the sport like it's, it's really it's a heavy time it's a very, very disturbing report, and you know, just continue to stick together and um, lift each other up, so that we can all continue to put pressure on the leagues and the teams for meaningful change. Because it has to come from absolutely everybody. Um, I, I feel like that's the only way it happens, right? Is it just takes everybody to say that's not going to be good enough anymore. Um, yeah. So with that. Um, you know, be well, everyone. It's, it's, there's obviously, it, it keeps going. Um, even in the Yates report, that was one of the things she said that I found incredibly disturbing as well. That was like, I have to finish this report and the scope of this investigation is this, but like, I could literally just keep going because you pull it a thread and there's another instance. And as we've already seen, a ton of ton more allegations have come out and more people speaking up publicly um and that's the power of a report like this so it's a it's a lot um but we'll we'll stay with it and um as ever like i think our focus will will be on um what's the action that's actually happening and and coming back to what teams have said they're going to do versus what they actually end up doing where can we find you online uh, you can find me online, Twitter and Instagram. That's so MLS. Um, and of course, you can find this podcast on that's so MLS.com and Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Where can we find you? You can be, find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. 
and the uh, the final um, the final match of the season in the uh, UMB St. John Seawolves uh, home run will be this Saturday at Canada Game Stadium in St. John, and uh, yours truly will be there um, on the microphone to uh, to yell about to to loudly announce to all of Milledgeville and anyone listening um, <laughs> when somebody has scored a goal. Support your local sportscasters. <laughs> so, uh, so in, until we have learned um, a little bit more about the uh, the do we? I don't know if we call it we've called it decision date or do we call it further decisions weekend. Um, until technically, we, decision day is fi- kind of the final, right? But yeah. Until the next decisions need to be made. Until we know more about other decisions, um, don't get sent off. <laughs>